you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Okay, when you hear this music, what movie do you think about? Okay, what is that movie? The good, the bad, and the ugly on there. The good, bad, and the ugly. One of the first of the Spaghetti Westerns, 1966. And as you were watching that movie, there was the good and the bad and the ugly. There was the good, Clint Eastwood. There was the bad, Lee Van Cleef. And there was the ugly, and it was Eli Wallach. Let's close in prayer. It's been a good day. So, no. But to go from Clint Eastwood to Christmas, when you hear this song, what is this song? What is that song? Does anybody know? We Three Kings. We Three Kings from Orion Ark. We Three Kings, it's a song that is based off of Matthew chapter 2, where it has some wise men who are traveling to find this child king. And it gives a depiction in verses 1 through 12 of the travels and what happened in order for them to come and to find this child. And in this passage, there are three different perspectives. There's the good, there's the bad, and there's the indifferent. The good, the magi. The bad, Herod. The indifferent, the religious elite. We three kings of Orient are. Think about that song Think about it in your mind. We got the good, we got the bad, we've got the indifferent. If you've got your Bibles, open to Matthew 12, verses 1 through 12. This is what it says. It says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, (coughs) excuse me, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring the word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Three perspectives in this story, three perspectives of each group who had to grapple with both the scriptures and the revelation that had been shared with them, and all three were different. The first was the good, that is the magi. And with the good, the magi, their perspective of Jesus is that he was a king that was to be worshiped. He was a king to be worshiped. So with the good, you think about these three wise men. And with these three wise men, they, their entire perspective is that he would be a king that would be worshiped. They had traveled from Persia. Most people believe it's uh, from the Persian Empire. They call it the Parthian Persian Empire. There was Iraq and there was Iran. And coming from that distance, they traveled all the way to Jerusalem. And it says that they were magi. What it mean by magi is these were people of, uh, of a respected quality. They served a priestly role. And they were trained in astronomy and also in philosophy and in medicine and religion. And uh, so these were well-respected folks. Well, at that time, throughout all the land, there was an expectation that a ruler was coming. And it says in chapter 2, verse 8, verse, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So automatically when they come, they're asking the question, where is this person who's born as king of the Jews? You say, well, where did they get an idea that that was even going to happen? Well, 600 years earlier in the book of Jeremiah, it says in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 through 6, and he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So these men were searching for this righteous ruler. They were seeking for someone of prominence. Someone was destined for greatness and they were going to come and they were going to worship him and they brought gifts for him. They were prepared to meet this king. And so they've got it set in their mind that there is some king. And when they saw this star, it was the, the sign they needed to go and look for the king. And at the end of verse two, this is what it says. It says, for we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And during those days, they were thinking that, that the, the stars would signal some special event. And so when they saw this huge star rise up, they said, this must mean something. It must mean that king that's been talked about. And so they began to travel and follow that star. And it took them 650 miles away from home, and it took them to Jerusalem. And they're looking for this king of the Jews. Now, as you go deeper into the Magi, what you understand is these were leaders. They were philosophical and religious leaders, and they were deeply involved in the politics of, of, uh, of Persia. John MacArthur, a pastor and writer of commentary, said, no Persian was ever able to become king 
without mastering the scientific and religious disciplines of the Magi. And then being approved, he would be crowned by them. So the Magi were king makers. I mean, people had to learn all the stuff that they knew. And then if they approved of it, then they could make people king. They were the ones that had to kind of check a box and say, this person's worthy to be king. And so these were God-fearing men that somehow became aware of the imminent arrival of Jesus Christ, and they began to travel, and they traveled 650 miles just to see if they can find him. So what happened when they found him? When he was told that uh, the scriptures show that Jesus was to be from Bethlehem, they traveled to Bethlehem. And then it says that when they got there, they saw the star, and the star uh, was right over where the home is, where he was living, and it says they were exceedingly joyful. And in verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. What they did was, is when they found this child, the first thing they did was they worshiped him. They had done all this traveling and they came here and they recognized that he is a king and he's a king to be worshiped. They gave of their time because they traveled 650 miles. They gave of their resources. They brought these gifts over here. They gave him of their worship and they submitted themselves to him. And see, when you think about the Matthew chapter 2 story, you've got the good and the bad, and you've got the indifferent. And the good, we see, is the magi. And in the good, there were these wise men who came, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. And they recognized his lordship. And they submitted both their time and their resources, and they yielded themselves to him. That's the good. And see, when we look at the Christmas story, we like to look at just that part. But see, there's two other perspectives because there was also the bad, and the bad was Herod. And he saw Jesus as a threat to be destroyed. He saw Jesus as a threat to be uh, destroyed. Now, the Magi knew that he would be from Jerusalem. I'm excuse me, knew he'd be from Judah. So uh, they decided to travel to Jerusalem to go to the capital. So you go to where the major city is, where the capital is, and they began to talk and they say, we believe that uh, there's king of the Jews is being born somewhere, but we see a star, but we haven't been able to figure out exactly where he is. And as they began to talk, word got to Herod. And Herod, when he heard the word, the Magi thought that was good news. Who would know where a king is but another king? So they were excited. Hey, Herod knows about it. Herod wants to meet with us. This sounds great. Well, when Herod heard about it, that someone was talking about a birth of a king of the Jews, his response was just a tad different than what their response was. And if you take a look in verse 3, it says, And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. That word troubled is a word that means agitated. And it says when he was agitated, all of Jerusalem was agitated. Herod was the one who ruled over Israel, and he was a part of the Roman Empire. And so his responsibility was Israel. And he was a ruler that was well-known for building a bunch of lavish buildings and, and uh, accomplished a number of things while, while he was ruling over them. 
However, also, uh, he began to get a, a little bit, uh, had, a, had a paranoia. And as he got later and later in his reign, he became more paranoid that there were plots against his life. And so whenever there was a rumor of something, then naturally his antennas were up because he thought everybody was out to get him. And when he got angry, his anger turned into cruelty and it turned into violence. And so when it said that he was troubled, everybody was troubled. They had a statement, a little saying back there. It was on the bumper sticker of the chariots is when Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy uh, on there. And, I mean, this is a man who, uh, he had his wife killed, he had his mother-in-law killed, he had his brother-in-law killed, uh, and he had 45 uh, members of the aristocracy killed. I mean, this guy was just crazy. And he would get angry. And at this particular instance, he was angry. And for Herod, this child was a threat to be destroyed. So he schemed to have this baby taken out. And uh, so he went to his religious leaders and he said, where is this king supposed to be? This Christ, where is he supposed to be born? And they looked right into Micah chapter 5 verse 2, which is the Old Testament. And it talked about Bethlehem. And when they saw that, uh, he said, okay. He went over to the wise men and he said, hey, the city he's supposed to be born in is Bethlehem. It's just five miles southeast from here. You're on your way. You can go down there. And when you find him, come back and let me know because I too would like to go and I would like to worship him on there. They said, great. And so they go off on their, on their journey. And see, when they went off on their journey, then after they, they uh, worshiped uh, the Christ, then all of a sudden God spoke to these wise men and said, hey, Herod's plans are for evil. You need to head out of here and go a different route. And if you see what happens in Scripture is that Herod, after a while, when they didn't come back to him, he realized that he'd been tricked by them. And in his discussions with them, he asked them this question, when did you first see the star? And when they said when they first saw the star, he then traced that back and says, well, that's at least 18 months, two years of travel that you've been going on or since you've seen the star. So he then sent his people into Bethlehem and said, I'd like for you to take the life of every male child who is two years and younger. Because that way I can make sure there is no king. And if there is a king that's born there in Bethlehem, then we will take him out. The deal is, is that God spoke to Joseph right before that. And he says, you're in danger. You need to pack up the family and, uh, and head to Egypt. About a 40-mile trip south and you need to head to Egypt. And he did. And so Christ was saved. But you have the good, the magi. And they felt like that Jesus was a king to be worshipped. You had the bad, that was Herod, and he felt that he was a threat and he needed to be destroyed. And so instead of submitting to Christ, what he did was he raged and took the life of other people. And many felt the damage of his wake. But then there's the third, and that's the indifferent. The indifferent. The indifferent, that's the religious elite. And that's an inconvenience to be ignored. They were indifferent. And their perspective of this baby that was born, it was an inconvenience and it just needed to be uh, ignored. Now, the Magi, the way they responded to me was the most surprising. They would travel 650 miles to get over there. And the response of uh, Herod was the most troubling. But to me, the most disappointing was the religious elite. 
This religious elite are made up of uh, the chief priests and the scribes. And it says right here uh, in verse 4, he says, in assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, the chief priests, they were over all the order of priests that were there in Jerusalem. The scribes, these were the ones that studied the Old Testament, and they were the ones that understood the Scriptures and taught the Scriptures, and they knew it. And they studied about this Messiah because everybody had been talking about it uh, all throughout the Old Testament. They knew that one day there was going to be a Messiah that was coming. And so these people were the most knowledgeable about it. And so, in all this knowledge that they had, Herod brings them together, and he says, so where is this supposed to take place? And they said, Bethlehem. Really? Okay. And so, once they told Bethlehem, he tells the wise men, they head in that direction. The thing that is interesting is that these religious leaders knew of a group that traveled 650 miles because they'd seen a star, and they believed that it it signified the birth of a great king, and they believed it was happening right here uh, in, in Judea. And, um, and what did the Scripture say? And the ones who knew the Scriptures opened it up and said, it says it's going to be Bethlehem. That's like five miles from here. You've already gone 650 miles. All you got is just five more miles, and you'll be right there. Now, your first thought is that the guys who looked at the Scripture and then saw this and kind of put two and two together would say, Maybe we should take that five-mile journey. Wouldn't it be normal? Let's go check this thing out. This could be the Messiah. This could be the one that we talked about for all these years. This could be it. But they didn't. You see, the Magi didn't know where. They asked the question where. And once they got the answer, they went. But the religious elite, they gave them the answer. We know where. Yeah, Bethlehem. They didn't do anything about it. The Savior of the world was right under their nose, five miles away. And they just said, no, we're just going to sit this one out. We're just going to sit this out. They knew the Scriptures. They were comfortable in their religious system. They thought they knew all the answers, and they thought they knew the truth. And uh, I was just trying to guess here. If if they were thinking that a child was going to be born in Bethlehem, it was sort of a one-horse town anyway. They probably thought it could only be born through some specific particular prestigious families, and we haven't seen any birth announcements from any of them, so there's absolutely no way any king, uh, Messiah, would be born there to just the poor people that are there. So, yeah, it just doesn't fit with what we believe. And so what they did was they did their job, they gave the information, they returned back to their comfortable homes, surrounded by prestige and honor, without even giving a glance towards Christ. For them, he was an inconvenience to be ignored. Three different perspectives. The good, the bad, the indifferent. The good, he's a king to be worshipped. The bad, he's a threat to be destroyed. The indifferent, eh, it's an inconvenience to be ignored. So where do you fit? We really only have those three options. And what we need to do is put ourselves in this story. And say, where do you fit? Where do you fit here? Are you like the Magi and you can say the good? And you look at Christ and you look at him as a king to be worshipped? Do you truly have a relationship with God through his son? And is he the Lord of your life? If so, then what that means is that you submit your life to him. You yield your life to him. You say, Lord, you're in charge of my time, you're in charge of my talents, you're in charge of my resources. 
I'll be obedient to you. I will give you worship. I will give you honor. I will glorify your name, even as the wise men came. And when they came, the first thing they did was they worshiped him. And that's what my response wants to be. That's your perspective as to who Jesus is. He's king, and if he's king, he's worthy of your worship. It could be good. It could be a good response, a good perspective. But some of you could say, hey, in all honesty, I'd fit more with the bad. And that is he's a threat to be destroyed. And there are some people that will actively reject Christ. You'll join the chorus of those who oppose his claims and demands while at the same time fail to honestly look at Jesus through the lenses of history and the Bible. You would resist to consider your own sinfulness and its consequences, refuse to observe Jesus' love and forgiveness that would change your life now and for eternity. And as Herod, you would prefer to be your own God. And what Jesus is is just a threat that needs to be destroyed. And Herod was threatened. And there may be some of you today who feel that same way. Threatened that if all of this is true, that your life would have to be radically changed. So instead of honestly pursuing the truth, you will attack and assail the Christian faith. It's either good, he's a king to be worshiped. It could be bad, this is just a threat and it needs to be destroyed. Or maybe it's the indifferent. He's just an inconvenience to be ignored. This is an interesting group that you may fall in. Indifferent. It's just an inconvenience to be ignored. You're not actively opposing Christianity, but then again, you aren't readily embracing it either. Um, It just seems to be easier to ignore it. Don't Take the time to think about purpose and meaning of life and the existence of God and what that means for your eternity. It's all just an inconvenience and it's easy to ignore. There's so many things going on in life. I don't really need to think about this spiritual part over here. So for me, it's just something that that I would ignore. There could be some of you today who say, well, maybe you claim to be a Christian, but you're indifferent to the things of God. You know a few of the Bible stories. You even have a church membership but you would rather coddle your sins and live your life with little to no moral restraints. You're busy with life. You just don't see the need to give more of your time or energy to the things of God. Now, you'll throw them a few crumbs here and now, maybe give a little money to a charity and show up at a few church services or so, but that's really about it. And to me, it really comes down to either being comfortable where you are to say, I am in this lukewarm relationship with God and I'm just comfortable in that and that way I can kind of ignore him when I wanted to ignore him and if it's an imposition I don't have to do anything about it and just live in that lukewarm relationship or it might be because you're scared to venture down five miles down the road and see if that really is the Christ child To look to 2018 and say, what if this year, this new year, I ventured down that road and I truly did check these claims of Christ to where I wasn't just going to feel comfortable in my cultural Christianity and in my lukewarmness, but yet I would really venture down and take that five-mile journey 
and look and see Christ the King and then worship him and submit to his lordship on there. Because if you took that five-mile journey, it could radically impact your life. But also, what you might discover is that what you thought was a relationship with Christ was actually only a church membership and that you're still lost in your sins. The greatest tragedy is to leave 2017 thinking that you have a relationship with Christ because you've got a name on a, on a roll of a church and discover that you really don't have that relationship and that you're still lost in your sins. And the religious leaders of that day, they had all the scriptures around them and they thought they knew exactly how it was supposed to happen and they were missing it left and right. And they weren't willing to take the five-mile journey. What would have happened? What would have happened if those chief priests had gotten with those magi and traveled with them five miles and went to the home of Mary and Joseph and saw the Christ child and at that moment got into discussions with them? Would that have changed? Could have changed a lot. It's just that five-mile journey. It's just heading five miles. You see, they knew the facts. They just didn't know the Father. And so... For us in this Christmas season, what I really want you to be thinking about is if you fall in that indifferent category, I don't want you to stay there. I want you to go from the indifferent to the good, to where you worship the king. You want you to realize at the end of Jesus' life, it wasn't the bad that led to his death. It was the indifferent. Herod wasn't the one that had Jesus killed. It was the religious leaders that had him killed. It was the indifferent religious elite who tried to ignore Jesus, but then they became threatened when the light was shined on their darkness and they lashed out and tried to kill the light. This is your journey. If you are planning on staying in the indifferent lukewarmness of just trying to uh, tip, tip a little bit over here to God or give him a little look over here, and, and, but really just trying to skate through life, whenever there's that indifference, Indifference moves to threaten because the threat is, is that I'm living my life like this and all of a sudden when the light of Christ comes and begins to shine on my life, it begins to show areas in my life that I know are out of fellowship with him and that are out of step with what God wants. And when I see that, I will react one of two ways. Either I will repent and come back into a relationship or into a relationship, or for some people, initially get into a relationship with God, or it angers me because I don't want to give these things up. I don't want there to be a radical change in my life. I'd like to coddle the sins that I've got. I want to continue to do that. No matter how many relationships it destroys, I want to continue to do that. And then when I feel threatened is when I lash out. And see, that's what happened with the religious elite. And so this Christmas season, when you're thinking about the wise men, and you always rejoice that they traveled all that long distance, and then they came, and when they saw the Christ child, they worshiped him, and it's the hallelujah moment. We go, yes, that's what was supposed to happen. Don't let that just stay right there in the pages of Scripture. Take that and put it into your life, and let that be your Christmas story. 
Let that be you going and looking at who Christ is and reading God's word and then saying, I want to have that same experience. I want to be able to worship him. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want to yield myself totally to him. I want to have a purpose in my life. I want to have some meaning in my life. I want the relationships I'm involved in to be stronger and to be healthier. I want there to to be the things that I do in my life to be more than just surface, but things that will have an impact for the kingdom that will last for eternity. This is what I want my life to be. And it's right there. It was waiting for you. It's five miles. It was just five miles. And when the wise men heard it, they didn't sit there and say, well, I don't think we want to go to Bethlehem. They said, no, we've come this far. We'll go the extra five miles. And then there were religious leaders who were right there. Five miles. That's all it is. Five miles. They could have done that. And I just know people enough and I know life enough that there's some of you that as you're coming to the close of this year, that you're just hanging on by a thread. And I'm telling you, the answer is as short as five miles. I mean, it is right there. It's right there in God's word. It's your willingness to be able to say, God, I want to come to you and I just open my life up to you because I'm telling you, I'm making a mess of it (laughs) and I'm ready to come to you. And I want you to take it. But you got to take that step. And after traveling 650 miles, five miles was a piece of cake. In the journey you travel through life, it's just that short journey to come to Christ and say, Lord, I want to worship you. We three kings of Orient are. Every time you hear that song, you'll be thinking the good, the bad, the indifferent. Where do you fall? My prayer is that you and me, all of us, would go to where we fall with the good, to where we would worship our Lord as the King. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful this day for your word. We're thankful that you love us and that you love us so much that your son died for our sins, you raised him from the dead, and you have a desire to have a relationship with us. And so, Lord, in this Christmas season, as all the things are all around us, as the gospel message is everywhere when we look around, for us not just to sit comfortably in our lukewarmness, but may this Christmas be the one that spurs us on to do even as the wise men did, And that is to come into your presence and to worship you and to give you honor and to give you glory and to yield ourselves to you and say, Lord, more than anything else, I want to live my life for you. And I want your power of the Holy Spirit to be in in my life. And I want to be a witness for you. I want my life to count and I want to honor you with everything that I do. And so, Father, that's our Christmas wish and our Christmas prayer. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.